see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. All right, guys, welcome back here for another episode here at Rangers Review. Myself alongside Statboy Steven. You guys don't need an introduction at this point. We're episode 16 into this thing. We have lots to talk about. A big week that was for the Rangers and some highs, some lows, some in-betweens that we need to discuss in their past week of games. And what is ahead for them as if we look at the schedule, the Rangers only have a handful of games left. So, Steven, before we get into anything else, how are you today, my friend? And what do you want to talk about? Or I should say, how much can you talk about? Because this could be a lengthy one. Um, yeah, we're getting close to the end of the season, which, um, feels weird because it feels like we only started a few weeks ago. Um, but I like where this season is headed. I still don't think we're going to make the playoffs, which I'm still okay with. Um, I think this season has already been a success considering how our, not just our team, but our entire organization has developed. You know, yeah, we, we, we've seen guys like Kako and Lafreniere the last couple of weeks develop into better players, but also outside the Rangers. Uh, some some Hartford Wolfpack stuff I want to discuss later on. There's some guys on the Wolfpack that have really shown what they can do. Some prospects in college, like Zach Jones, who now made the jump. Nils Lundqvist had a good season. Adam Edstrom in Sweden is having a great postseason. So overall, this rebuild is is finally shaping up to be what we always anticipated it, it hopefully would be one day. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's really remarkable seeing how far they've come. And you're right, it does feel like just yesterday the season started. I know it's not a full normal 80-plus um, game season, but still, man, it's crazy. It's like, what, we have like seven games left already? It's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is actually happening. But a lot of things to be happy about. Something's a little negative. But in general, let's just hop right into, okay, the past week of games for the Rangers because this was an interesting one. Now, going into this week from our previous episode, as I'm sure you guys watched all around, uh, we both, I believe, predicted 3-1 and one on the week. We fell just short by a game. They went 2-2, two and two, the Rangers, and did not help their chances making playoffs. And now, look. Are their playoff hopes completely dead at the time recording this? No, they're only two games out to Boston. They have 56 points to Boston, 60. Now, we need to root for the Pittsburgh Penguins against Boston upcoming at the time recording this, which is tough, but we do have to do some things in hopes that the Rangers can prevail in the end. But regardless if they make playoffs or not, there are a lot of positives to take out of this season. And if we look into this week in particular, starting off against the Islanders, that was probably by far the toughest pull to swallow this week. They lose 6-1, to one, just one of those games where they had nothing going. Jacob Truba sustained an injury, I believe, from Matt Marin, and that really, nothing felt the same after that in the game. If it didn't already, Igor did not have his most stellar game, nor did the Rangers have a good game structure defensively at all. Once Truba's out, they were really trying to squander to fill those minutes, if you will, and it just did not prevail in the end. Kevin Rooney was the lone goal scorer for the Rangers that game, and yeah, that's really all there is to say about that one. The Rangers just looked a couple steps behind did not look like they truly had what it would take to come back in that one. What's your quick uh, What's your quick stance on it? Look, Ranger fans just need to accept that the Islanders are a better team this season, and they were last season, and they might still be a little bit better than us next season. It's just it's the way it's going to be. Um, the way the Rangers have started this rebuild three years ago, they are poised to be a contender for a decade. 
ideally starting in 2023, uh, 2022, 2023. But the Islanders right now are just a better team. And losing to them is not a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a 6-1 loss. But like you said, Truba goes out early with an injury and you're down to five defensemen, which it's it's easier to finish a game down a forward than finishing a game down a defenseman because only five guys left out of six it just it takes a large chunk out of your out of what you were planning to do that game and he went out after like what three minutes yeah it, yeah exactly it was three and change i believe yeah so normally you have 60 minutes to divide over six defensemen mm-hmm. or over three actually because they play in pairs um now all of a sudden you have 120 minutes to so it's 120 minutes divided by six now you have 120 minutes you have to divide by five so now your average time on ice for your defenseman is closer to 24 minutes so everyone has to play a little bit more and you can really tell that that didn't didn't really help the rangers that game but it's one loss i mean it's 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 a 6-1 loss. Yes, it hurts, but it's only one loss. I mean, they, they, they lost the next game to the Flyers, which they could that have hurt more. That game was much closer. That game is probably the one they would have wanted back. Um, but, you know, the Islanders game doesn't really bother me. They're just a better team right now. Not individually. They're, they're a better team. If you look at the Islanders as, as a team, they're great. If you look at their individual performances – Oof, it's it's. I wouldn't want to be an Islanders fan right now because I I like to zoom in on these individual performances. But when Barzal is outproduced by Strom and Zibanejad, that must hurt for Islander fans. Um, when Ryan Lindgren outproduces everyone on their defense except Nick Letty, oof, and Lindgren's not really an offensive guy anyway. Mm-mm, no, he's not. <laughs> they they don't really have the individual performers the individual standouts and in a way their team reminds me so much of the early uh 2010 rangers the rangers i was just going to say that you read my mind it's it's so john tortorella-esque in more ways than one when i watch this current islanders club yeah if you if you look at the rangers between 2010 and 2013 they they never really had that standout top goal scorer you know they they had Eric Christensen was their was their first line center at one stage. Um, aside from Gabrick having having one or two good seasons, they never really had a guy getting close to eighty points. I remember Rick Nash at, having sixty nine points was the closest we got to seventy. Mm-hmm. And then following that, we had a couple of seasons where it was mostly just Zuccarello leading our team in in points with fifty nine. It was yep. ridiculous. There was no real. It just wasn't fun to to follow from an individual perspective as a Rangers fan. Whereas if you look now, if you look at the um, you know the the statistics in the league, you have um, Artemi Panarin ninth in points despite missing ten games. It's just if you if you if you go to point per game, it's just it's crazy to see guys like Zibanejad, who had a really tough start, uh, and Ryan Strom just up in I think the, the top twenty five. It's yeah. Adam Fox who has more assists than Sidney Crosby. I you know. know. There's just so much. This, this Rangers team is fun to watch. The results will come. That's, that's basically my message to Ranger fans. Yeah, losing to the Islanders must really sting because, you know, of the geographical 
location and the rivalry, which I don't feel here in Europe, of course, but it's one game. Give it a year or two, and we're 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 better than the Islanders, and we'll be beating them five out of six games a season again. Let's no, you're 100 right, and don't get me wrong; it of course does stain anytime you lose to our rivals and the Islanders. But I will say it is kind of a nice way on how you put a twist on things and talking about how it connected with the Rangers here and how the Rangers are a shell of what they once were in the sense of looking that poor, not having that number one guy. So defensively minded. Don't get me wrong. It's good to have a defensively structured team. The Islanders are prepared for playoffs. So they are a team that is very capable of winning a round of playoffs right now, but they don't have those X factors. And at the end of the day, that's something that hurt the Rangers tremendously in the early 2010s, not just during their time with John Tortorella, but also Elaine Vigneault. Very similar. Now they finally have those guys. So yeah, give it a year or two. I would even say as soon as next season, we could see this yeah. Rangers club ahead of the Islanders. But I think that's a great segue now into uh, the- Hold on, hold on. Just one, one last point here. Um, Go ahead. Last week, I talked about how the games against the Devils didn't really mean much because we were playing a team that sold off their best players at the deadline, right? Yes. Palmieri and Zajac. They went to the Islanders. So you go from playing the Devils without them to playing the Islanders with them. You're playing a team that really loaded up at the deadline. They they were already one of the better teams in the division, and they added two really good forwards. Their, their goalie is coming into his own. Yeah, 6-1 might, might not be the result that best reflects the game, but I'm, I'm not surprised that we lost by five goals that game. The Islanders are going all in next season. They will be without some of the guys that have gotten them this far. So, Fair point. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair point indeed. And if you look at the Flyers game, in my mind, that one hurt the most because um, the blowout, it is what it is. When you get Truba hurt early and you just can't rebound, you know, you kind of swallow that pill and you're like, all right, on to the next one. The Flyers, and this is what I predicted from last week, if you guys remember, I said the Rangers would lose one of their games against the Flyers. Back-to-back, something just didn't feel right to me, and that ended up uh, prevailing here as the Rangers lose 3-2, and this was a tough one because Rangers go into the third period, they score one goal, but Flyers score two to get the winner, and that one just hurts more because the Flyers are not a team that will be making playoffs this year. They are behind the Rangers now in the standings, a team that the Rangers trailed for a while trying to get on top of in the standings. So the Flyers, as they look like they very well could be on a rebuild sooner than later because Elaine Vigneault is doing his best job that we can imagine. Uh, the Rangers still fell short in this one. That one did suck. I'm not going to lie to you. But at least the past few games, the Rangers have prevailed. And in pretty dominant fashion, if you look at that doubleheader, the next game right after that, uh, that will be 48th uh, game on the season for the Rangers. They won 4-1. That was a very impressive win. Panarin had a couple assists on that one as well. He's been electric every single game. What else is new? But then you get on to really the Buffalo game, and I think that's what we should emphasize because that's most recent. And the Rangers win 6-3, and Buffalo uh, was crawling their ways back at some points in this game. But the Rangers, man, what really stood out to me more than anything and what stood out to me this entire past week is that the kids continue to produce. They look more and more confident. When I saw Adam Fox's one-timer, Pass to a one C goal by Kapo Cocker on that right dot. I thought of you right away. I'm like, oh my God, Steven's going ballistic. It's probably like four or five in the morning where you are and you're just going nuts, right? So that's exactly how I felt. Alexi Lafreniere has had three points the past four games for the Rangers. Capo Cocker, three in the past four, had two goals on the night. And 
man, every single time Kako touches that puck, it looks like you need three guys on him. And that's something that was very relevant during his time with TPS Turku, as you knew. And it wasn't nearly as prominent in uh, the last season, but a lot of factors went in the last season. We're not going to beat a dead horse there, but Capo Kako is a change man. And I know that there is still some natural concerns with his lack of point production, but there really should not be much of any. He is currently on direction, on pace to massively break out. He has all the qualities and all the characteristics to be a simply dominant two-way forward in this league for a long period of time. And Alexi Lafreniere, too. The confidence is building. The kid's always smiling, and everyone loves Laffy hugs. But, man, he just has this grit to his game. And you can tell now what is skating some more, getting some natural open ice, and really making things happen. I'm loving what I'm seeing from the kids. Of course, Philip Hedel as well had a very strong week for the Rangers, too. If you look at everyone from top to bottom, having Alexi Lafreniere on this top line is definitely paying off for the Rangers with Kreider having his natural woes with, you know, regular, um, with regular, uh, pardon me, with normal ice time, not on the power play. He really hasn't been producing much in the past 20 games. Power play, he has been able to get those goals in front. But it's good to see that Kreider's on the third line. I think that's balancing things well. I think Kravtsov has looked, continued to look good in his smaller stint on that fourth line. And Adam Fox, man, how many times do we need to say that this guy's deserving of winning the Norris is here. He's currently leading the entire NHL in points among defensemen, and he has better analytics than Victor Hedman. So what's your stance on this Rangers win, the past couple win- wins for them as a whole, and what are you excited most about, as I'm sure I kind of took uh, your words? Um, at my, you, you, Let me put it this way. I took your words out of your mouth. I think that's yeah. the way to put it. Yeah, yeah a little bit, yeah. Um, I mean, Lafreniere coming off a, a two-point game against the Flyers, the 4-1 win where he had a goal and an assist. Uh, Beautiful great, goal. Great for him. Uh, then you get to uh, this game against the Sabres, and like you said, it was Kako with two goals. Also, Zibanejad with another hat-trick. Um, yeah, completely blew over my head. That's kind I mean, of important, right? Can we talk about the fact that in the first 15 games, he only had three points, and since then he is at a 1.27 point-per-game pace? It's 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 unbelievable how he has produced. I think it's like forty-one points in thirty-eight games. It's Mika. ridiculous. Yeah, he currently has seven hat tricks in his career. Three of them are this season. That's that's three hat tricks in one season. I'm gonna have to look that up, but that that it's pretty impressive. It's a big deal. Um, but if you look at that game yesterday. Uh, it was just a fun game to watch. The game was an hour earlier for me. It was only at midnight. So yeah, it was at time. Um, but yes, yeah, Zach Jones got his first point, which you know we should at least mention. Uh, Kako getting two goals, and Kako the last twelve games has nine points. Think about think about that for a second. In the month of April, he has nine points in the last twelve games. Um, he's finally getting to the point where, you know, he's sort of replicating the way he was playing in Finland. And you can tell by the, by, you know, when he's out there, he's controlling the play. And finally, finally, we're getting close to the lineup that I want to see. Early in the season, I said, you need to spread out the rookie, the spread out the, the, the young guns. Um, and now we see Lafreniere on the Zabanejad line. We see Kreider on the third line with Hedl and, and Kako, which I think is a brilliant move. Finally, you put Kreider in a position where he can actually help the team more than just be on that Zibanejad line where he feeds off of Bushnevich and Zibanejad. You should. This is it, 
if Kreider's Abanajet Butchnevich line reminds me a little bit of that failed experiment in 2013 on the Tortorella, where he was forcing Nash, Richards, and Gabrick together. Yeah, a little too front loaded. Putting three great players together doesn't make it a great line. No. If you look at the Penguins, and I've mentioned this in, in previous episodes, if you look at the Penguins, Crosby has played with Chris Kunitz, with uh, who was the guy before Kunitz? Pascal Dupuis. Um, uh, and the guy now, um, I'm blanking on the guy Armstrong? now. No, the guy that, that, that they drafted, that he played in college. Um, Gensel, Jake Gensel. Yes. You know, yeah, it doesn't matter who you put on Crosby's wings because, you know, they will produce. Crosby makes it easier for you to fill the rest of your lineup. And this is the way you should work the Rangers lines as well. You should make the lineup based on pairs, not based on trios. The The first line is Zibanejad Bucinevich. The second line is Panarin Strom. And the third line is then, I guess, Hedl and Kako. Yep. And then mix and match and, and until you get the best result. The only thing left to do here is to move Kravtsov up to the Panarin line. If we do that, then we finally have the lineup that I wanted at the start of the season. But Lafreniere on the Zibanejad line looks like he belongs there, which is great for a 19-year-old kid. He found a place in the top six where he looks like he belongs. And this was always the biggest criticism of Maybe not the criticism of David Quinn, but the criticism of the position Lafreniere was in. He didn't come into a team like the Buffalo Sabres where you can put him on the, on the top line. No, in the pecking order, he was behind Panarin and Kreider, and rightfully so. At the start of the season, he was the third best left winger on the depth chart. But now he's our coaching staff is mixing and matching a bit, and you, you can tell that they, these lines are just a much better fit. Kreider on the third line can be much more dangerous than he can be on the first line, in my opinion. He's a, he's a great player. He's not a superstar, probably won't be a Hall of Famer, but he's a really good player who has been on in a, in playing for the Rangers for almost a decade now. He made his NHL debut nine years ago. Can you, can you believe that was nine years ago, NHL debut in the playoffs for Kreider? I, I know. That it, again, we, talk, we talked about that plenty last episode, so yeah. I, won't, I won't drag it on. But, yeah, it, but, it, it, feels, it still feels like yesterday for me, which is But having, having Kreider on the third line, I think, is, is just the right move. It's now balanced. We just, we just need Kraftsov and Blackwell to swap, and, and then we have maybe Howden for Gautier, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, I don't really care about that too much. I just want Kraftsov on Panarin's line. And then have that fourth line be Blackwell, Rooney, and whoever complements that line the best. Um, which reminds me, Kevin Rooney is probably one of the more underrated players on this team. Yeah, he's not going to win a scoring title or anything, but for a fourth liner, I think he's a pretty good pickup. Everyone talks about Blackwell as a good free agency pickup, but I think Rooney has been a really good addition as well. Yeah, uh, Rooney has definitely been a net positive. He's hit, he's tied career highs this season in uh, either the same amount of games or just less of games. Um, you know, we'll see what future Rooney has with this Rangers organization, but I really can't gripe about much with him on this fourth line. He, he's not a pylon out there. He's not just a standing cone. He contributes defensively, helps on the PK, which is something this Rangers team always yep. kind of needs. And he's really he's definitely been a factor to their success from a defensive side of things this year. Yeah, and if you look at uh, Blackwell and Rooney, they just came in and they they grabbed their their spot. Yep, they what they could do, 
And Blackwell and Rooney are the reason Brendan Lemieux is no longer here. It's not because Brendan Lemieux wasn't good enough for the NHL. I was never a fan, but the reason he was traded is because other guys came in and turned out to be better than he was. Um, but that Rooney goal yesterday, uh, uh, to wrap it up, uh, shorthanded empty net goal. Um, there have only been 11 this season in the NHL, shorthanded empty net goals. Rangers have three of them. No other team has more than one. It's funny. When you say shorthanded in a nutshell, it makes me think of the numerous uh, stats the Rangers have had in the past five years. You know, when you think of just like shorthanded leaders as a whole, Michael Grabner, book it. Oh, Grabner, like that, yes. that comes to mind right away. It just meant like the first goal that always comes to my mind. I don't even recall if it was shorthanded. I, I don't think it was, but it's right towards the end of the game against Columbus. And Columbus, breakaway, ah. Yeah, shout out to Grabner, just, just on a side note. I miss Grabner. I wouldn't want I him back. But I miss I, – he had, he had a good 10 years as a Ranger. He, he exceeded uh, expectations here. Yeah. So quick question before we move on to the next point. If you're a coach and you're down one goal and you're on the power play, do you pull your goalie knowing that the opponent can shoot for the empty net without an icing? Do you pull your goalie and make it six on four or do you trust your team to score on five on four? I probably, with a minute left, you said? Yeah, oh. let's, say, let's say there's a minute and a half left. You get a power play. You're, you're down one goal. You have the option, keep your goalie in the net and take the five on four power play. Or pull your goalie, make it a six on four, but you have an empty net and your opponent can shoot without icing the puck because they're on the penalty kill. Yeah, I would. I would start with five on four. And then after the faceoff, if you get things settled in the offensive zone within the last mm-hmm. 30 minutes to you know minute in the game, then pull the goaltender because it's always the riskiest business when you're on, even with even with special teams, because it gives the opposing team, like the Rangers, more time, more effort than ever to make sure that you get that puck down the ice. It's not just because one, you don't have to worry about icing, and two, you get that shot for fun when naturally you're just trying to dump the puck down. So yeah, yeah I and, and more often than not in that scenario, I would not pull the goaltender until uh, some type of puck possession is established in the offensive zone. Yeah, I've I've I don't know if as a coach I would ever pull the goaltender on on a power play because you're adding another player in the offensive zone where you're already you know it's already crowded, so it increases your chance of turnover. I need to research this. What the success rate is of pulling the goalie on the power play. I feel like it's not nearly as prominent because when I look at it from a Rangers perspective, at least more often than not, I think of those six on fours, six on threes, you know, five on threes, whatever it's going to be. And they just don't know what the hell to do. Like they try. Ideally what you should do is have your four guys cycling and then you should have two guys in front. Right. But it's, they, I, just, they always just look a mess. They never look proper. Because in it. I think, I think teams practice five on four power plays. Yep. I don't think they practice the odd power plays enough, like five on three, six on four. And then when you're out there and you know you're, you have a six on four situation, maybe they start to overthink it. Yeah, I, I honestly think, especially when you're in like the last minute and you're down, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, again, if I'm just viewing this from a biased Rangers perspective, I can't begin to tell you the amount of times, and you've seen it far worse than I have, where they had a two-man advantage with the goaltender pulled within the last minute and nothing comes of it. 
like at basically every single game against the against the Detroit Red Wings from the span of like 2015 to 2019. Like that, it's it just that's all I think about truly. Uh, the Red Wings. I, I don't know how many games we lost to them with with uh, how Jimmy Howard in goal. He's Rangers legend. What could have been? Seriously, he grew up a they die Rangers fan. Best games at Madison Square Garden, man. Always. They hit different. They're just they're not the same. Especially if you're if you grew up a fan, you just you have that extra fire under you. You know you want to give it your all. Even even with Howard as he got into his mid thirties. No. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's really. All I have to say, I would like to just add a huge kudos to my man, our man, Zach Jones. I gained his first NHL point. Got the Broadway hat yesterday at the time recording this because of it. Um, wasn't a goal or anything, just an assist. But, hey, we'll take that. So, Jonesy gets on the board. And I want to know your initial impression of Zach Jones because I did not, I was not able to catch every second of every um, game for the first two. But from everything that I saw and I watched uh, the past game fully, Jones looks solid. Just um, he, In my mind, he kind of looks just – Maybe a little hesitant, as one would, getting called up in this last second coming from college. Doesn't look like he um, he hasn't had any real ability yet to show his flashes. He got a couple seconds on the power play unit. On the second power play unit, I saw nothing really was made out of that. Um, he just kind of looked he looked decent, kind of just almost non-existent because we have seen such a small sample size. So what's your what's your quick evaluation on his game thus far for three? Um. I think he's he's been impressive enough to uh, to consider it a positive first couple of games. Mm-hmm. He has made a mistake here or there, but what I liked about Zach Jones's game so far is that when he did turn over the puck or when he did make a mistake, he was he was back so quickly to uh, to correct it. Yep. Whereas other defensemen usually need a second to turn around his. His lateral movement and backward skating ability give him that edge over other defenders. Um, he he just overall it's a positive. I would if I had to give him a rating one out of ten, I guess six and a half. So decent, decent. Yeah. Uh, what I like about his game is that defensively he doesn't take any risks, whereas someone like Keandre Miller. Sometimes get a little gets a little bit uh, complacent, you know. He tries to make make the fancy play. He gets and a little lackadaisical. The last like the last couple of games, Ke- Keandre Miller has made some mistakes that have led to goals or high scoring, uh, high danger scoring chances. Um, nothing. I'm not worried or anything about him being a bust or whatever. Don't get me wrong. But I do think he needs to work on that part of his game. He just needs to simplify the way he plays in the defensive zone. He just needs to make sure that he does the the small things right. Go back to basics. When you have to puck on your stick, on, uh, when you're on a penalty kill, just clear the zone. Even at even strength, if you have the puck on your stick, just clear the zone. You don't have to make the fancy play and skate it up the ice every time. And I think that's where Jones is a little bit ahead of Miller. Jones has a more natural instinct, I feel, in the defensive zone, whereas Miller thinks offense uh, a little bit too much. Uh, but hey, they're they're, they're both twenty. Um, no wait, Miller's twenty one. Anyway, they're they're Miller's twenty one. Jones is twenty. Yeah, these kids are so young; they'll learn. But yeah, I have seen a couple of moments the last few games of Miller that I didn't particularly like. 
no, and I and I'm with you. I felt the same way. Um, we mentioned this. I think it was last episode or two episodes ago. Um, just kind of Miller's play. It seems like throughout the season, um, he was boosted with an overwhelming sense of confidence. I think. I think maybe he's just gotten slightly a little comfortable because he really solidified himself early in this lineup, and it hasn't looked back. Um, so I, I would say I, I would say he's just naturally as a rookie kind of having his ups and his downs in a season, but nothing to the point of having me screaming at the television or anything along those lines. And to have Zach Jones now with this club, I think what's really important to take away is it's just experience. Like if hopefully we could see him be in more games than not for the remainder of the year. You want the Rangers in this playoff push because I don't think he's going to be at nearly as much of a, of a negative as he will be a positive. And he, you can tell early though, the qualities, you know, they were talking about him, raving about him out. Many believe him to be the lefty version of Adam Fox. And I see that. I really do. And what I also see is not so much necessarily Adam Fox, but I see Zach Jones. Uh, there's aspects of his game that feel very um, one of one to me. Like it really, like you can tell that he's a very unique type of defenseman. Um, he's very poised in his own zone. He has that two way game strong. The the hands and the the actual skating is clearly there. We just haven't seen necessarily the uh, explosiveness he can bring as a power play quarterback, if you will. Um, but man, I'm really excited for him because I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and that's might be a bold take given how deep the Rangers are, even on the left side, uh, you know, with still the Libor Hayek's going into next year, Tarmo Ronanins, you know, the list goes on and on or having Matt guys Robertson. play the offside. Pardon don't me? Forget, don't forget Matt Robertson. On the I know. I, yep. Matthew Robertson is another great guy. You need to make sure that I keep an eye on too. But yeah, no, something tells me, however, about Zach Jones, that he will be a fairly pivotal part to this team. And, over the next year, we're going to see a lot about him. And you just it, yeah. it further builds the excitement heading into next year. And what has been, I would say, a very, very promising and mm-hmm. latter half to this rather hectic at times season. Yeah, and 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 this is this is the beauty of a rebuild. Um, yeah. and also the signs of a good rebuild, where you have so many prospects coming up that there are going to be trades that are going to make Jeff Gordon a very unpopular man in Rangerland. Yes. Because he is going to trade away prospects that people are attached to. Correct. We don't know if it's going to be Robertson, maybe Jones, maybe even Miller, or maybe they trade away Ryan Lindgren. We simply don't know who's going to be the odd man out, but this is the this is all the result of a successful rebuild. You know, we, we had a rebuild before, or sort of a rebuild, in 2004, 2003 or something. I don't remember exactly. But it was the time where Brian Leach was traded away. Yeah. And they did sort of like a semi-rebuild. And it didn't really work out because the picks we got for Brian Leach turned into, what was it, UC Markkanen or something? It was nothing prominent from what I no. recall. And nothing, nothing good came out of that. Uh, the best trade the Rangers made, and I, I got into an argument with someone on Twitter because uh, we were talking about how Mike Richard, oh, oh, sorry, Mike Richter was traded to the Edmonton Oilers in 2002. Um, even though he never played for the Oilers, he was traded to the Oilers, then didn't sign with the Oilers and signed a contract with the Rangers, which gave the Oilers a compensatory pick. The Rangers did a similar thing with Mark Messier, I think in 2004, where they traded Mark Messier to the San Jose Sharks for a fourth-round pick. 
then Mark Messier didn't sign with them as a free agent, and uh, they got a compens- compensatory third-round pick. That fourth-round pick they got from the Sharks, they used to draft Ryan Callahan. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, I, I can't even recall. Did Mark actually lace up with San Jose? No. No, because no, I was going to say, I've never seen a Mark Messier Sharks jersey. And 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 the the, the compensatory draft picks were were uh, removed from the CBA during the full lockout in two thousand four two thousand five. Okay, so they don't happen anymore. And this was probably the reason why, because again, say that was just was just talking to other general managers. Kevin Lowe, I think, was the general manager in, in Edmonton at the time, saying, "Hey, I'll trade you Mike Richter. Then when he signs with us, you get you get an extra pick from the league." It's just so weird if in today's NHL to think that I was ever even a thing. I know. Um, but the Rangers never really had a proper rebuild. This is the first time they go through a proper rebuild. Structured. A structured rebuild. They sent the, send out the letter three years ago. Uh, to me, the start of the rebuild isn't really 2018. It's 2019 when we had our first high draft pick. Um, and if you compare that to other teams like, you know, the Penguins and the Kings and the Blackhawks and a little bit the Bruins who went sort of through a retool in 2006, the Rangers are on track. If you look at their win percentage uh, in their second season after their first high pick, they are ahead of the curve compared to those those teams, which is a good sign. But Ranger fans just need to be a little bit more patient. This rebuild is going to be a lot of fun, but there are going to be casualties. and the casualties will mostly be on defense. And would you like to expand a little bit further as we were talking about prior to this recording on exactly how the, what direction the Rangers are currently on? Um, because I think that's now a great segue here before we get on to yeah. uh, uh, reviewing everything on what is next for the Rangers next week. So bear with me yeah. one second. I'm going to pull this up here. So yeah, uh, Steven, so what is your stance on this? So let's talk about this real quick, shall we? Let's get this banner out of here. And okay, yeah. So, so, made quick so what am I looking at? Yeah, I made a quick overview comparing the Rangers at the bottom, 2019, to the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Chicago Blackhawks, Boston Bruins, and LA Kings, uh, where R stands for uh, the point of their first high draft pick. The Penguins had their first high draft pick in 2002, which was a fifth overall pick they used to draft uh, Ray Whitney. Uh, the Blackhawks 2004 third overall Cam Barker. Uh, 2006 for the Bruins, they didn't really have a super high draft pick, but that was when they traded away some players and they did a quick retool. I think they signed Zdeno Chara that year, etc. Um, they also, uh, that was when, when Marchand was, was drafted and they traded Andrew Raycroft for Tuka Rask. What a St- trade. Steve St- of the century for the Bruins. Mm-hmm. Um, 2007 for the Kings, they had a fourth overall pick, I think, uh, Thomas Hickey. And then the Rangers 2019, of course, second overall, Capo Caco. If we use those years as the start of the rebuild and compare those years, um, the Blackhawks don't have a win percentage in their R plus one season because that was the full lockout season. But if you compare the Rangers 0.564 and in their R plus two season 0.553, they are ahead of the curve compared to those seasons, uh, compared to the seasons those teams had. So basically what you're trying to get at here is what you've been preaching before. What 
exact direction are the Rangers on with the rebuild when you get in, yeah. say, maybe arguments with people and, oh, it's going too slow or it's not going properly. Yeah. In a nutshell, it, the, the, the yeah. motive here is that, yes, things are very much on the right path and ahead of schedule. If anything, this rebuild's going too fast. Yeah, <laughs> you need to pump uh, the brakes a little bit, all right? <laughs> and, and, and let's all be clear that these are the most opportunistic examples, the most opportunistic blueprints to go from a rebuild to a cup. We've seen the Washington Capitals drafting very high in 2004, 2005, and they needed a good 12, 13 years to finally get over the hump and win the cup. The Tampa Bay Lightning drafted Hetman and Stamkos in 2008, 2009. Um, they needed 11 years, 11, 12 years to get the cup. So it might, it might take a little bit longer, but if we, even if we look at the most opportunistic blueprints for success – the Rangers are still ahead of the curve. So if you look at the first playoff and first cup, um, R plus two, R plus three, R plus four, R plus five. The R plus, uh, R plus two would be the Rangers this season for the Bruins. But if you look at the Blackhawks or the Penguins, by that comparison, the Rangers would have to make the playoffs in 2023-24 or 2024-25. I think they're going to make the playoffs next year, which will be their R plus three year. And then their first cup, you see R plus five is the most uh, – is, is the, the quickest route from a high pick to a Stanley Cup in these examples. For the Rangers, that would be 2023-24. No. Yes. Yes. 2023-24. If we win the cup in 2024, then, then we match basically what the Kings did. And we talk a lot about entry-level contracts and how it's important to have, you know, to have your success early. But the LA Kings didn't win their first cup until they extended Drew Doughty and Andre Kopitar. They were no longer on the entry-level contracts. They were making, I think, six, seven million a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rangers cap situation is getting better in the next couple of years. We have a lot of buyouts coming off the books. Um, I think the Rangers are in a really good position. Um there's another overview I made, which maybe I'll go into during the offseason, where uh, it's I call it the entry-level rolling model, where you can see where the entry-level contracts expire or where they go into normal contracts, when players are arbitration eligible, etc. And that's important to know because that's how you that's how you are able to to contend long term. You need to have these players. Uh, produce on your team on an entry-level contract, not necessarily your best players. I mean, in the next three years, if we can have Nils Lundqvist and Braden Schneider be really integral parts to our defense, that's, that's going to go a long way to to our team success. Absolutely, you know, and I love the I love the point about the ELCs because we talked about this last episode too. But look, it's true, it's true. Like you're not going to deal with endless amount of money, unfortunately. The NHL um, with their very hard salary cap has uh, not had anything better come, uh, come their way because of the pandemic and everything. Um, but we can say that with the Rangers and the direction that they're on, yes, they're going to have to definitely pay up on these ELCs. And hopefully it's honestly expensive because that means that the players are producing that well. Unless that, that that they take a hometown discount type thing, like Adam Fox, for example. Um, you know, they're destined to have a lot of ELCs on this club for a while now. And that kind of goes back to, 
how you were alluding to, we may very well lose a Ryan Lindgren, just as an example, or any type of young upcoming defenseman or player mm-hmm. because you just have too much that you're working with. And dealing with salary repercussions, how are you going to be handling them? It, us Ranger fans always need to realize that there is definitely a um, – when there's a well, there's a way. And Gordon has been very strategic. And same thing now with J.D. since he's coming out in as president – and how they're directing this team, both short-term and long-term. And long-term Rangers have a great future right now. They already have a bright future as it is. Five years from now, we're going to see this roster have the pivotal core group, a lot of what we currently see, but you're also going to see a lot of those ELCs, and they're all going, for the most part, be homegrown talent. Now, remind me the last time the Rangers had a club where they were that talented, Stanley Cup aspirations very well, while also being so centered homegrown. If you look at the Rangers back in 94, as amazing as that team was, it was the opposite of homegrown. They did everything that they had to do last minute to make significant changes to get guys with experience, bring them in, get rid of guys that were really crucial parts of the team for a while, even though that they weren't necessarily homegrown. Like think of Gartner, for instance. Phenomenal goal goal scorer, one of the best to ever do it. But they had to trade him away because they really felt that he wasn't the kind of guy that they needed to get them where they want to be. And that ended up being a crucial part to them winning the Stanley Cup that year. So when you look at the Rangers now, they're in a prime position. They're, in my mind, and it's funny because how we always kind of connect the Tampa Bay Lightning of the Rangers one way or the other. Going back to all the deals, you know, Ryan Callahan, St. Louis, and then Ryan McDonough, so on and so forth, Brian Boyle. Boyle when he was there, Girardi, you name it, all the buyouts, they were all there at some point, right? But the point is, is that the Rangers are kind of similarly in a direction like the Tampa Bay Lightning now. You see so much homegrown talent. You see key guys that they drafted with their top draft picks. And it's not a Steven Stamkos or a Victor Hedman, but we have our Capo Cockers. We have our Alexi Lafreniere's. We have key guys on defense now. Niels Lundqvist, Keandre Miller, who are very well going to be with this club for a while. I'm loving this direction they're going down because the Tampa proved it with a, probably the arguably the hardest season to win a cup last year when you give everything considered, right? So they get that done with their core group, with all these guys, homegrown towns. The Rangers are ahead of schedule, and they're ahead of schedule for the most part with guys that they have either drafted themselves or continuing to draft and will be within, within the club within the next two, three, four years even. So I just want to throw that out there because I think homegrown talent is such an important thing. Um, in today's NHL, you know, it's as amazing as it is to win a Stanley Cup and all that. There's just a different X factor that comes with it. If you have deep playoff runs and eventually Stanley Cup success yeah. with a team that you single handedly built one way or the other versus doing last minute deadline trades. Yeah, I mean, we did have some, of course, some some integral parts of the 94 team. Oh, were- of course, of course. I'm just saying the trades were a huge factor yeah. in that. Mike Richter, Brian Leach, uh, most notably, of course. But what I always wondered about that 94 team, um, not so much did those trades really get us the Stanley Cup, because, you know, there's a case to be made that if we keep Gardner and Amonti, that we might not need seven games to get past the Devils. Yeah, and and that's one of those things we'll never know, right? But what I do know is that those trades at the deadline cost us uh, a cup window. Yeah. Because trading away Amonti... Uh, I think was the biggest loss for the Rangers. Yes, it resulted in a cup. So I, I'm pretty sure all the fans are happy because it was a 54 year cup drought. And at the time people would have sold their soul for the Rangers cup. People would have moved to Siberia if it guaranteed the Rangers to win. I can die now in peace, you know, now that they've won. Now I can die in peace is the one sign that describes the entire fan base at that point in time. But now, years later, if you look at 
how Mark Messier in general has impacted the team after 1994. You know, how Zubov was traded away, how Nedved was acquired, which is also a weird situation. We got him as compensation for the Blues signing our coach. It's weird. Uh, trading Nedved away to the Penguins, where he then had hit the best seasons of his career. Very frustrating. Um, and then trading away Kovalev. It's just the, the trades in the 90s. It's like Neil Smith was trying to chase that high from 94. He was trying to, to, to get back to that magical moment too much. And he lost it a little bit. Jeff Gordon is, is not that type of guy. Jeff Gordon will, I mean, not all his trades are, are home runs. You know, of course, the McDonald trade is still a little bit iffy. But if you look at the other trades, man, getting Adam Fox for two second-round picks, uh, trading Brassard and a seventh for Zibanejad and a second, the Rick Nash trade to Boston, well, to me, that's a better trade than the Zibanejad trade. I don't care what anyone says. When you get eventually what ultimately leads to Ryan Lindgren, Ryan Strom, and Andre Miller for six weeks of, of Rick Nash, that is the best trading, uh, best trade by Gordon as the Rangers general manager. I agree with you. I think the Zibanejad trade is a really close second, but you gave up a really good player in that trade in Derek Broussard, who had a, had a good couple of years for Ottawa, had yep. some deep playoff runs. Um, but Jeff Gordon has been building this team. He's been making these, these moves. Um, the drafting the last couple of years has been a lot of fun to watch, watching these kids like Morgan Barron, in, in Hartford, who was doing really well over first 10 goals on the season, really well. Ty Ronning, who was a seventh round pick in 2016, that being up this year, didn't really look destined for more than just the ECHL, but this season he's been really great. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he actually makes the NHL one day with the way he's been playing. You know, he finally gets to that next level this season. And then you, you sign guys like the, the last offseason, like Justin Richards, who won the national championship in college twice. Yep. Petr Kodorenko, who was a first-round talent in his draft year. The only reason he went undrafted is because he had multiple fractures in his leg. But he played on the U.S. national team development program with Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren. You know, you draft Tyler Wall late in the draft. Now Hunter Skinner is on the team in Hartford who not a lot of Ranger fans ever expected to even get an entry-level contract. Yep. But Hunter Skinner has been great in the ECHL this season as a 19-year-old defenseman, and now he's in Hartford. You just have to keep these guys coming in every year. And I assume Laurie Pauniemi and Nils Lundqvist will be next this summer. And Carl Henriksen signed his contract. He'll stay in Sweden for another year, but he'll come over next season or next summer. Adam Edstrom who is one of my dark horses in this Rangers organization. He's a point-per-game player in the Swedish playoffs this season. Fantastic. He's 20 years old, and he's a point-per-game player. And his team has, I think, a 2-1 two, two lead or 2-0 two, two lead in the semifinals of the SHL. This guy's stepping up big time in the playoffs. That's the type of performance you need. And Kravtsov has this too. You don't know how fans were complaining about Vitaly Kravtsov when we drafted him. Oh, do I know? <laughs> I heard more more of it than anything else. I'm the just glad I was informed on him. He's a playoff performer, and yep. when the lights shine brightest, that's when he performs. And and I'm really excited to see what Kravtsov can do next season when we actually make the playoffs. But the way this team has been built, and 
the way Hartford has been turned around too. You know, Hartford was always the place where careers go to die. Yes. Yep. Now, if you don't know what to do with a player, send him to Hartford and, and he'll, he'll, he'll quit hockey. That's, that's what it almost felt like. But now you have guys like, like next season, you're going to have Matt Robertson and Braden Schneider on the top pair. That's not even fair for the rest of the AHL. I feel bad for, for the rest of the AHL. Too. <laughs> and then on the second pairing, you have Hunter Skinner, who is a, a beast, like physically. It, people talk about Braden Schneider, but Hunter Skinner is a, is a guy that Ranger fans are really going to like if he ever makes it. The Rangers have a lot of tough decisions to make. And, and I, for one, am excited to see what's going to happen. Some names that we are attached to now, like I said earlier, are not going to be on the Rangers by the time we win a cup. If if people have time, go on to Elite Prospects or, or any hockey site go where you can watch uh, previous rosters and look at the 2007 Pittsburgh Penguins, the 2008 Chicago Blackhawks, and go through those teams and then realize how many players on those teams were not there two years later for the first cup. That's that's what that's what we are going to be looking at in the next two, three years. We're going to see players on our team and in our organization get traded away because we simply don't have enough room for them. Which sucks, but it's the cost of doing business. It's the it's 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 a great problem to have. Yeah, no, it is a great problem to have. And I feel like we talk about that every week, but it still holds true. It's that is the root um, cause of all this excitement. You know, when you need to give your heartfelt goodbyes to someone that you grew an attachment to, because at the end of the day, one, you simply don't have room or two, it's it's for an even better good than what you had. Like, come on, that's a good thing. Like, it's, let's take it from a smaller level. Um, even though it's kind of hard to read it right now, the Joey Keene and Julian Gauthier trade. That was a perfect example of what we could expect going more down the road, but maybe with some bigger name guys. Um, so, yeah, no, great thoughts as always, Steve, and I a thousand percent agree with you there. Um, and I think now as we get things wrapped up, it's a perfect time to kind of segue into the next week for the New York Rangers because this is the second to last week here um, for that we'll be doing these Ranger reviews during the season. It's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Um, but this is going to be a big week for them. And in my mind, um, I, I don't know. Th- this week will probably be the decider. They have probably as hard of a last week in hockey as you can expect that we will discuss in next week's episode. But Rangers face off against Buffalo for their upcoming game, probably tonight at the time you guys watch this, and you might have already saw what happened there. But you have the Sabres on Tuesday, then on Thursday, home against the Islanders as well, and then away on the island on uh, that will be on May 1st. So uh, what is your initial predictions for this, Stephen? Uh, do you think that they come out of this week with uh, more than more wins and losses? Up against the Islanders is a tough one. Um, I think they can take one game against the Islanders. Um, we're just lucky that the third game is against the Sabres. I'm going to go 2-1-0. Two, two, yeah, I was thinking 2-1-0 as well. I want to be really, really optimistic and say they go 3-0, but I'm going to go with 2-1 and one right now. And, yeah, I'm honestly – I'm concerned about the Islanders, of course, uh, just from the playoff perspective, because it's funny, because if you guys are here still watching this episode as we are reaching right towards the end, um, right after the Rangers lost uh, the first or second game of the four games they played the past week, uh, I told Steven and Mike, all right, I guess we got to talk about the playoff hopes officially dead. But just like that, 
the Bruins have done their best job to keep us slightly alive to just knowing that there's that sliver of hope with the last week. Yeah. And it may very well even come down to what is going to be the final series of the actual season, if you will, is against Boston. Their final two games away in Boston. And uh, the game on the 8th, uh, which is the final game of the season, got rescheduled. So now it's 3 p.m. Eastern time, which when I think of day games in Boston, I don't think of anything positive. So. Yeah. We'll see how that goes, but I'm picking two and one for this upcoming week as yeah. well. So one thing about the Bruins, uh, they still have two games in hand. So yep. ideally, if we want to wrap it up at the end of the season, we need the Bruins to lose two more games than us. Yep. Then we'll be down four points. Um, and then we can beat – if we then beat them in those two points, uh, in those two last games, we make the playoffs. The Bruins have those uh, two games in hand after we play them. So their season ends later. They they play the Islanders on the 10th and the Capitals on the 11th. Yeah, they, they don't. it doesn't look like that they have – do they still have an easy schedule here on out? I think that they play all yeah, – so the, Bruins, the Bruins schedule is uh, uh, Pittsburgh? Uh, uh, in Pittsburgh and then at home against the Sabres twice. Oh. Then, then two games in New Jersey. Ah. Then home against the Rangers twice. Then home against the Islanders, and they finish the season in Washington against the Capitals. Yeah, I forgot about that. I, I had a feeling that they had a softer schedule. When you look at the Rangers, their last quote-unquote easy game is the game that you guys might already saw against Buffalo. Um, so that's that's tough. Uh, it doesn't. It de- definitely doesn't favor the Rangers in this situation. Look, look, Again, look. Even if we don't make the playoffs, let's not let's not forget how crucial these games are. No, of course because, not. Because we we have our young kids play in meaningful hockey in April. Yes. You know, even if we don't make the playoffs, these are games where something's still at stake. And even though I don't expect them to make the playoffs, the players still do. The players still go out there with something to play for. And I think that's great. How, how amazing would it be? Think about this. The Penguins lose two games in the next week or so. Then we play the Bruins. We win the first. The second game goes to overtime and then a shootout. And we have to win the shootout to clinch a playoff spot. That would be, be textbook. <laughs> I don't that see it happening, but hey. And that, that, you know what that makes me think of? That I don't know if you were probably just thinking this series that hurts us as Ranger fans, but I believe was going back to 2010. Phillies, Rangers, last game of the season. Yeah, and then the Flyers ended up going all the way to the cup, and Mr. Patrick Kane said, hello, I'm kind of amazing. And yeah, that was right here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. great. It's crazy how one, one shot can <laughs> dictate you making playoffs at all or going all the way to the Stanley Cup yeah. Finals. Even though we, even though that team never won a cup, I have so many good memories and warm feelings about that team. You know, oh, Eric, of course. Even Eric Christensen at center, but guys like Anisimov, uh, Je- Jeff Wabitka even. You know, the, the whole Winter Classic with the Road to the Winter Classic TV show on HBO at the time. That was, to me, that was the height of, of Rangers coverage. You had MSG beginnings. You had the Road to the Winter Classic HBO show. Uh, you had this thing what was uh, like with with Ellen Vigneault a few years later was called Behind the Bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where have those shows gone? 
They don't care. Someone <laughs> please step in and 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 talk to MSG and say, listen, we need this content. The Minnesota Wild just just released a documentary about Kirill Kaprizov. I know. A few years ago, the Buffalo Sabres had a one-hour documentary about Alex Mogilny. You would think that a big market club like the Rangers that do, in fact, have money would be more interested in doing something along these yes. lines. Yes. With, with really exciting, young, promising players. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not we, like that this is a depressing rebuild. It's quite the opposite. Take a camera crew, go to Jericho on Long Island, talk to Adam Fox and his family and his friends and his high, and his, his elementary school teacher, whatever. Make a one-hour documentary about Adam Fox. That, I think that would be fantastic. It's not that it's not that difficult, you know. You can you can you can do this. Other teams are doing it. There's no excuse. But then again, the New York Rangers have never had decent warm-up pucks. So all we know is that hockey coverage as a whole will be very interesting and it probably will bode the Rangers a lot better in the sense of how it's going to blow up with the media. Because yeah. as much as I'm not a huge ESPN guy by any stretch of the imagination. Same thing with Disney. I don't. I don't love that connection there, but they will be with ESPN, oh, Disney, and now TNT for next year. NBC's done, and I was never a fan of NBC at all. And that's not a shot at anyone that possibly connects with NBC. It just uh, that you know, hockey has been so overlooked in this country, and I think that finally you get at least what is supposed to be you know mainstream you know media coverage, and you're getting right in the heart of that now. If you yeah. get these connected with that, because we all know how prominent basketball is in this country. Same thing with football, all that. Now you have them all on the same damn network or multiple networks. Good things are going to happen. So, Look, and, and I know hockey is not on the same level as football in the U.S., but if you go on, look at how much content NFL Films puts up. Oh, it's ama- it's amazing. That's how I became such a big football fan when I was a kid. I didn't know anything about football until I was 22, 23. I started watching those documentaries, A Football Life, America's Game. Football Life's a great one. A yeah. Football Life is amazing. Why, why can't the NHL do that? I have so many ideas. If, if anyone's working for ESPN, just hit me up on Twitter. I have so many ideas. A, they're, number, they're, numbers, they're old school. a numbers game where you have a 30-minute episode of a team's retired numbers that are up in the rafters. Oh. Done. 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 Yeah. Uh, coaches challenge where you interview head coaches and how Wait, don't, don't give them all away, Stephen. No, no, no. Interview <laughs> them about their path to the NHL. Yeah. Um, defected where you interview former East block, uh, uh, players like Peter Nedved, uh, Peter Stasny, Vaclav Nedomansky, how they broke away from the Soviet union or the, or Eastern Europe to play in the NHL. That's content that fans would love to see. I agree. Uh, you yeah, know, that's a great point. I love that idea too. It makes me think of from a baseball perspective, whenever players free, uh, free Cuba, normally there's a very interesting story behind it. You know, yeah. other parts of, you know, there's yeah, the story yeah. of Peter Nedved. He was playing at a junior tournament in Calgary. The Seattle Thunderbirds had representatives that were waiting outside his hotel at 3 a.m. He climbed out of his hotel room window using his sheets, jumped into the car and they fled. They 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 crossed the border and and drove to Seattle. There you go. <laughs> That's crazy. I want to. I want to. I want to see a documentary of those stories or something. You know, if you if you if you don't want to take any risks, just in the next couple of years, just have every team put in draft coverage, forty five minutes. 
Yep. 32 teams, 45 minutes. That's 24 hours of television. It's too much to ask for, clearly, Stephen. I, I have another, uh, at least 10 more ideas like this. And, and you're not the only one. Um, so it, it's unfortunate. It would be, hopefully, again, I think that good things are going to be coming for hockey in, in a nutshell, just naturally with the media side of things. Um, a TV show called Award Season, where they go into who Frank J. Selke was, who has an award named after him. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that. Or yeah. an episode where they where they go over who James Norris was. Yeah. The Norris Trophy. Now, fans can finally understand what, where all these names come from because – New fans, like kids that are like 12, 13, have no idea yeah, they have no clue. Who, who Frank J. Selke was. I don't even know. The only reason I know is because, you know, I'm, I'm crazy and I looked it up. <laughs> but, but this is the type of content that helps, you, that helps you attract new fans. The NHL is great at catering to its existing fan base. What they need to do is they need to cater to the open market of, of fans. You need yeah. to draw in new fans. Don't settle for less. They can have a TV show called Expansion, where they go over each expansion draft and go over the success of the expansion teams. And I can go on. I, I can go on for another 30 minutes about this. Oh, but- I, I trust me. I know you can, and I'm sure you would. But we're not going to do that because that's going to wrap up today's Ooh, episode of one, Rangers one more, Review. One more, one more, <laughs> one more I wrap it up. <laughs> go ahead. One more. <laughs> An episode about all the rule changes over the years. That would be cool. Sorry, the two-line pass. All right. Time to wrap up. I was was concerned you would go down this rabbit hole right now because I feel like these ideas will, in fact, be taken and you will not be If you don't stop me, I will go down the rabbit hole. We can do an entire episode about this. Okay. Okay. Maybe maybe sometime during the summer. We'll we'll, we'll have to think about that for sure. But – a good time for that, yes. Yes, you're 100% right, though. And again, I appreciate this so much, Stephen. If it wasn't for you, none of this would be possible. So again, thank you all so much, Ranger fans, for checking out the latest episode here at Rangers Review. I hope you guys enjoy Let us know your thoughts, as always, if you're watching this through YouTube in the comments. If not, just please make sure to give us a good review through any type of podcast platform that you listen to this to. Really would mean a lot. A lot of great things coming here at Rangers Review. A lot of things ahead as we get into the summer that have yet to be announced. So stay tuned for all that, guys. Thank you so much, everyone. And as always, Stephen, let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers.